0: Hello, and welcome to Season 4 of the Prima Donna Podcast. I'm Nat Grant, a composer and sound artist from Melbourne, Australia, and what follows are sonic portraits of three incredible Australian artists, their voices mixed with my music. This podcast was produced on the stolen lands of the people of the Kulin Nations, and I pay my respects to Elders past and present. The second portrait in this season is of folk singer Margaret Roadnight. Margaret's had a 50-year career and performed at the first National Folk Festival. They gave her a Lifetime Achievement Award in 2014. And in 2018, she was one of three artists to receive a similar accolade at the very first Australian Women in Music Awards event. The song she probably made most famous, Girls in Our Town, was selected for the Sounds of Australia collection in the National Film and Sound Archives. Margaret performs regularly, but is more discerning these days of the kind of gigs she accepts. A keen activist, she's also committed to raising the profiles of songwriters whose work she feels should be more well known. You were saying just something just before about 50 years of waiting for the phone to ring.
1: Uh, yeah, and, uh, well, that's unless you're your own entrepreneur, which of course I've been for my sins at various stages over the decades. But uh, really, in this business we laughingly call show, it is dependent on other people wanting to hire you and program you and making the effort to track you down and contact you and negotiate so uh, and and it, for some of us even unlike people in theatre they have to wait the same thing but when they get a gig it's usually you know includes rehearsal and production time and maybe return seasons and all that um, not not me I rarely do anything that runs for more than one, one offs you know get a repeat wow how amazing <laughs> Yes, it's um, it's nicely precarious. Luckily, I've I've never had health problems. Otherwise, I'd be worried about this um, as a career. But uh, and luckily, I have a low standard of living. I I, you know, I never owned a house or a car or anything like that. And I, that has never bothered me as long as I've got roof over my head and I can get around. Um, money in itself is not of interest to me. Um, I sometimes sound like it is when I negotiate my conditions. Um, but that's because you put a value on what you do. And you know, no, it's not even how much you pay me. It's how much the punters are prepared to fork over to, to have a unique experience where you're not background music. And, but um, it's rather strange being in Melbourne with you know, the live music capital of the world, which I believe... Because there are so many, so many venues and so much music and so much good music. This is not necessarily a good thing. Some of the venues are crap. Some of the, A lot of the conditions are terrible. It's, you're competing with, you know, dozens of people every time you do something. You cannot pick a date or anything that's not, you know, that's going to channel all the people who potentially would be interested in you towards you. It's... Um, I mean, I'm not afraid of competition or anything like that. It's quite healthy, but yeah, I think Melbourne has actually gone overboard. I have been known to approach quite good performers sitting in a dark corner in a bar and say, you know, I know this pays the rent, but it's work, but it ain't going to help a career. You know, you've got to say at least, I must have a, a light that goes on when I step onto this non-existent stage. I mean, something to say you're not wallpaper music, you know. And that's putting a value on what you do. So that's um it's a tricky one. You know, I don't want recital centre concert hall reverence for what I do. But come the time, it is shut up look and listen time. You know. And people laying down some money, that certainly helps, and if they haven't done that, they feel they can chat and even the people around them can't even say shut up, I paid to hear this person no you didn't You know, so you help yourself by by putting a monetary value on what and I always try and keep it low because you want as many people to be able to come as possible but you can never make it low enough for really poor people or you just find a way to do something or they sell tickets and they get in for free or something, some other way but You know, you can't buy a packet of fags for $30 now, so don't get excited about paying $30 to go to a concert. You know, it's hard if you haven't got $30, but there'd be a way, sometimes a way around it. You can have concessions, but and neither do you go to the other extreme and say, well, it's... Hundred dollars to see me. You get about the same number of people because they would think oh, it's really special. I can tell people I'm going to that and I'm taking my girlfriend and whatever. So it's uh, horses for courses, but you're trying to tread a some sort of middle road for all of this. The other thing is, like, it's when I started. Yes, I sat in the corner of restaurants and sang. Um, you do that when you're really starting out. Plus, I've got to say, back then, people tended to listen more. What do you mean? Well, when they heard the music start, they'd, oh, they'd turn around and maybe eat quiet, more quietly and not have long, loud conversations and, and applaud, you know, at the end of songs. So um, that, that milieu has sort of changed now. If you set yourself up in the corner of a noisy place, you don't get sympathy from me, you know. You might get some unwarranted advice. That's. <laughs> so.
0: What do you think changed in that regard?
1: Um, well, very recently, so much has changed. I mean, remote controls on televisions didn't help. Uh, here comes an ad, I don't like this bit. Go search, search, so oh, something else, something else. So no concentration. We know, we know people have less inclination to sit and absorb. You know, if you haven't got them in the first... 10 seconds, you haven't got them. I'm exaggerating. I always exaggerate to make my points. <laughs> um, I mean, nowadays, they think it's okay to be sitting there, checking their emails. Well, in a concert hall, even in, you know, the reverential places now. I've often had to tap somebody on the shoulder and say, excuse me, that's in my peripheral vision. You know, And they usually put it away and they don't give me a hard time. But... I mean, it's outrageous, and you know, f- people filming from the audience and feeling they can post it on YouTube. And, oh, don't get me started. It's it's a terrible, terrible situation. There. You pay to to come to the concert. That's it. If you want to, if you want to film it, that's a separate thing. I may or may not say yes, and I may or may not want to negotiate terms or financial return or maybe intending to do my own and so we'll just have to wait for that or, no, that's, it's a lost cause it's a lost war I continue to fight
0: <laughs> so what are your prerequisites
1: for saying yes to a gig now uh, attentive audience expectation of an attentive audience I think my website even says that <laughs> And you know, a bottom line of, of people committing to it financially. I, I sort of try and think laterally all the time and think through the consequences. I mean, if I did ride as I would consider putting on a rider, say, an arbitrary figure, my my fee is a $1,000. However, if you spell my name correctly, <laughs> in all the publicity that you are sure to do, um, it's $800, you know. And then if I play to a full house that's not papered, it comes down to 500. And then all of a sudden you get publicity and you get your name spelt correctly and you get a full house and I'm happy and the audience is super happy because they don't like to be in a small audience in a bigger place. And the organisers are super happy and it's the opposite of what... You know, oh, you didn't do well, oh, well, I'll cut my fee. Fuck that. You know, it's, uh, no, double my fee if you didn't get an audience when I've given, you know, or don't put it on. I don't. And the trouble is, you know, you do for good causes like rallies or benefits and very good causes and they're saving money and they don't have money and they don't get people and they put you on badly and they don't win anybody to their cause. Don't do it. Better not to do it, you know. It's a, it's a tricky one. I mean, of course, you can't be tippy-toeing around and never doing anything in case it doesn't work, but there are bottom lines that people don't even meet too often. So.
0: No, it's good. that's great advice. <laughs> I'm learning.
1: <laughs> also, I'm a self-contained act, except when I have other people, but it's um, harder for people who are, you know... Have to be in an ensemble, and the changing members or you know, changing milieus, genres. Um, so, yeah, and I have a a diminishing name in in the in the entertainment world. Um, so, you know, you call on on uh, your own name and your own experience and your own uniqueness and your own history, whereas if you're starting out, you really haven't got that near. Am I going to be a well paid session musician or a backup singer, or am I going to try and be out front? Do I have and then sure I've got a great voice? I'm not talking personally, generally, singers. Um, but and they so come some of them actually come to me and say, will, will I, you know, give them some singing lessons? The answer is no, I wouldn't dream of it, but um, I don't know enough about you know physiology of the throat or anything like that it could do damage to you but um i'm um, basically I, I say why is it that you think people would come to hear you as opposed to another good singer you know or another good show person or dancer or whatever combination that you are or intend to be and for me it's the material the material the material and uh so, and that it's easy for me to say, all the songs I sing are fantastic, because I didn't write them. If I wrote them, it's a bit hard to pat yourself on the back like that, but I mean, in theory, all the songs in the world are there for me to choose from. And so, of course, I only go for the ones I like, but that doesn't mean I can sing them. So I like a heap of them out of which I think, oh, I'd really like to do that. Can I voice the guitar? Maybe not. Well, yeah, I could find a way to do that and put my own stamp on it without going crazy and just totally rearranging for the sake of it. I mean, you got to remember that what you liked was, you know, a, a bit of a package. Or, on the other hand, maybe you're transcending that person's voice that you can't stand and the, the way they sing, but you can see the kernel of a fantastic song there and you grab that one. So, my repertoire is from, you know, it's got to be good stuff. It's got to be about three reasons why it even think of choosing it to sing it because every song I learn I've added 10 to my list of songs that I'd like to do which is a great position to be in as opposed to maybe as if I was a singer songwriter I can't tell the difference between my fantastic songs and my mediocre songs let alone my bad ones they're all my babies and you you know I'm going to do maybe I'll do one cover version in my whole two-hour program but otherwise it's all me and uh, I'd hate to be driven to be writing and only performing my own songs. I'm basically a, a fairly lazy person, so I, I once tried to write some songs and I wrote a few B-grade songs and I thought, no, the world's full of them, doesn't need more. There are all these A-grade songs who are, which are underexposed, under underpresented. So if I think I could do it, um, that's that's my spot. That's my niche, really. Yeah. yeah,
0: and it's funny depending on the genre as to how acceptable that is. I mean, no one questions an orchestra playing covers. <laughs> no. But in pop music somehow it's I know, it's become... Do,
1: and In fact, because I do usually under-exposed songs, it's perhaps unknown, um, people do presume, unless I'm specifically pointing out the opposite, that I've written them. Um, even Girls in Our Town, which is my minor hit from the 70s, um, was written by Bob Hudson. And uh, he'd recorded it before me. And it's been recorded by a dozen other people around the world. But um, People assume, oh, I thought you wrote it. Uh, and I usually tend to nom- um, nominate the, the writers of my songs throughout my program. But it, and if I realize I haven't for a while, I say, Look, I forgot to tell you who wrote those songs, but the one thing you can be sure of, it wasn't me. Well, Frank Sinatra, he never uh, wrote a song that I know about. And Cole Porter never recorded a song as far as I, you know, he doubtless sang around his home where he entertained his guests. But um, no, there were the writers and there were the interpreters. And thanks to Bob Dylan, damn Bob Dylan, and that type of um, person on the scene, well, we're now expected to write our own songs. And even Bob Dylan writes some crap, so, you know. (laughs) Uh, Yes, one of the last interpreters, maybe. (laughs) Even... um, people that I'm, from back in my day, who were not writing, finally started writing and so they're subjecting us to their new compositions, but <laughs> they don't, in my really humble opinion, they don't stand up to the, unless they stand up, unless, it, you know, you've got to do it for your own sanity or something, really keep, keep holding it up against the stuff that you used to learn because it was so good or else um, just do it for your own amusement and amazement.
0: You have quite a, a history of activism, could I say?
1: People tend to say that, and I always feel like, well, if it was true, I'd claim it. Um, I've been asked to be part of various things, and I'm, if I agree with that, the thrust of the the cause or whatever, I'm happy to do that, but it's such an easy thing to do, you know. You are not the organizer. You are not doing the boring things. Of, uh, in the old days, you know, sticking pamphlets in envelopes and all of that. No, I just come and do my thing, and then people applaud me. Three three minutes later, I get applause. Um, yeah, and happy happy to be happy to do it. It can become a little counterproductive in as much as, well, financially, of course, because you tend not to be paid, but um, that's okay. This is one's contribution, um, but it's predictable. You know, there are like half a dozen people who are likely to be, if there's a rally or so this, I guess he's going to step up and sing. And I would get to the stage of saying, why don't you ask Julie Anthony to sing? You know, like, sh- she... Is she known for supporting anything? Well, ask. She might be, you know, she might be on board for that. It'll be, that would drag in and a whole other peop, lot of people instead of, you know, the, the usual, well, the vaguely lefty, vaguely greeny, whatever, you know. Oh, yes, of course, Margaret will know. And see, I, I not only do I sing for them, but I sing relevant songs. Good God, what a concept, you know. It's not just, here's a little musical interlude. Great, that's the thing about songs, you know, you've got music, music opens people up and then they can take in something. Well, if they're just taking in music, fine. If they're taking in some interesting words that have a point to them. That really gets to people and they remember it. You know, they they remember facts and figures because it's in a song. Or they remember being moved because a story was wedded to a, a, a melody that got to them and it's, it's magic songs are magic music's fine words are fine put them together you've got something really you know good music good words interesting words with a point or humour or whatever winnable combination
0: yeah I think that's what I meant when I said activism is maybe your choice a lot of your choices of song content maybe yeah. as well as the physically being at the rallies
1: oh yeah yeah definitely I I pride myself on Having a good, um, a good, being a good editor, taking a song that isn't quite fitting and and localising it or making it timeless and or contemporary, um, finding songs that people don't know but are easily accessible under, you know, less than ideal conditions perhaps. And what else? And, and yeah, just having enough, knowledge in, of the repertoire, even if I'm not totally on top of it, if I'm given a little, little bit of um, advanced warning. I mean, I used to go to, in the early 70s, I was um, going to Canberra every week for a while because there was a television show that came out of Canberra. Uh, only when Parliament was sitting, because then they had so many parliamentarians and advisers and whatever to call on as guests, And I was the resident singer, but it was they would call me during the week and say, now we're covering these topics. Would you bring three songs on each topic? And then we'll choose come the day. And uh, I also remember that I say, well, these songs, I know of these songs and I know them vaguely or I know one of them, but if I'm doing that song, I'll have to have a cheat sheet and you don't want me to be wearing glasses, I know that, so I'm going to get, you know, I got contact lenses for the first time and read the cheat sheets. So, well, you know, the repertoire was the potential repertoire was there, out of which I'd then choose, out of which they they would choose, and I'd sort of almost on the run be doing two or three songs per show, and that was good, good challenge. But there are other singer-song there are singer-songwriters who do that you know uh, they will write a song on a topic for, you know every night not so much happens nowadays but well the Sammy J you know they are just fantastic people coming up with clever and smart songs um, Tim what's his name Tim Minchin Tim Minchin all of Eddie Perfect great great young people uh, you know writing smart contemporary pointed songs Mostly, you notice all around piano, <laughs> the mm. guitar's gone. Mm. Yes. Um, but then, you know, Tom Lehrer, do you know, yeah. you know Tom Lehrer? Yeah. You know? He might have been a folk singer if he'd strummed a guitar, but he's considered like, you know, the cabaret end of it because he was on the keyboard. It's a perception, you know. Yeah. Tom Paxton is my equivalent of Tom Lehrer, but he's, he doesn't have that sort of smart reputation because he was on the guitar.
0: Did you learn the guitar to accompany yourself singing, or vice versa? Or
1: yeah, I did. I was forced into it. Um, I had a guitar, but I, and I didn't. I still don't read the dots. Um, but I would just sit on the edge of the bed and try and pick out a melody or something. But I certainly didn't play the guitar. And then I um, got a gig. and a bass player said that he would accompany me which is great because I think my favourite western instrument is is the double bass Um, and so it was this voice and bass and what we did uh, we were picked for three songs on a program and the audience loved it and screamed for more and I had to do it then we (laughs) that was the end of our repertoire had to do an acapella song and they still wanted more and the the promoter of the concert said no we're moving on with the concert but Margaret will be booked again before the season finishes so I kept going to these Sunday afternoon concerts thinking oh the season must be winding up and I haven't heard anymore so I went and said um, excuse me and um it was Glenn Tomasetti who was booking it and she said oh Margaret since you were on I've had lots of people coming and saying um I'd like to sing here but I don't you know, don't play an instrument and I've made it a rule that you have to accompany yourself and I said oh really okay so I went home and I bought a chord book and I and I taught myself one song on the guitar and I went back and said I play the guitar now (laughs) so she had to book me again and I just accompanied myself on one song the rest I did a cappella Um, the irony being that I I basically I tend to strum you know 70% of my songs I'd be just doing a strum nothing fancy Um, whereas this one song I was singing a Latvian lullaby so first of all I wasn't even singing in English and then I I did arpeggios but I did backwards arpeggios you know so it sounded a bit fancy. I don't think I bothered doing anything like that subsequently but um, that was the start of me realising that this is easier than rehearsing with a a musician, and of course, much as I love the double bass, it is a limited sound. It's a voice and double bass forever. Sheila Jordan does it. That's about it, you know. Um, so it makes me independent. You know, have guitar, will travel, act if necessary. I know, I know, I can entertain people for two hours, just me and my guitar. Maybe with, take along the thumb piano, just to break it up. Do the old a Lots of anecdotes maybe throwing a kazoo solo, <laughs> something. Yeah. There you know, the different ways to entertain people. Yeah. And, and when
0: and where was that, that first gig and how old were um, you? That yeah,
1: 1963, I remember it vividly. It was um, my first gig, Mother's Day, because I partly remember that, because one of the songs I sang was sometimes I feel like a motherless child with my poor mother, benighted mother sitting in the audience on Mother's Day. Oh, you could be ins- insensitive when you were a teenager, you know. <laughs>
0: yeah. Were your family supportive of your choice of career?
1: Um, we Neither particularly supportive or it was just, it wasn't really a career at that stage, it was just a hobby, you know. I mean, I sort of fell into it. I didn't think I had to be a singer. I just, when I discovered uh, the folk music scene was when I thought, oh, that's an interesting scene. Prior to that, I thought, yeah, I could be a singer. And I was thinking along the lines of maybe uh, uh, jazz-esque pop. You know, Ella not wouldn't be uh, hitting her standard, but that's a genre of music. Um, and I was thinking, yeah, that'd be a nice thing to do. But a nice thing to do is not the basis on which you devote all your energy and time and interest. and. and um, so on but when i was introduced to the folk music scene and somebody said go to this concert sunday afternoons and there was a range of people who did stuff that from all around the world ancient tomorrow's headlines you name it with different attitudes and coded messages and the whole thing that was the whole you know history geography whatever it was all in in there i'd never gone to university and was not particularly interested in academic study but that was like my university, you know, because I, if you, you like that sort of song, well, it comes from this and, oh, here's the history behind that and these are the personalities and that happened then and where and why and how it changed. So it was, it was like my education. There must be an equivalent nowadays where, you know, kids are not immersing themselves in that sort of field, so they must be getting it from, I don't know. Facebook or long-form television series, or <laughs> who knows? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have to be. That was the way I got into it, and uh, I feel sorry for people that don't that don't have that access to that. But I'm not presuming that they have don't have access to the the subjects. No,
0: because that was how I. That was my. I mean, I'm not super young, but I'm going to gigs and yeah, how, yeah.
1: discover whole attitudes and history and geography and and movements and poetry and parody and you know it's all there
0: yeah
1: so but that's what are we 56 years ago yeah incredible
0: (laughs) and what are you working on at the moment
1: um I'm not I'm um let me see I'm doing um well the repeats of the Woody show I'll learn some new songs for that um then there's a the concert with Elizabeth Drake and Jane Cornell and Janie Conway and uh, because Janie Lewis isn't doing it I think they've added a couple of other people Uh, Shana Carlin and or Shana Stewart she might be calling herself and Krista Hughes Um, so it'll be a a women's concert as part of uh, I think it's a retrospective look at the Australian music scene of the 70s and and not that we have to do songs from that era, although I actually think it'll be fun for me to, I'm um, thinking I might dig back into the repertoire from that time because there's so many good songs and you, you just move on and and so, if they're unknown to me, almost unknown to me and I have to revise and revise, relearn, then they'll, they'll be fresh to the audience or, or else I say, oh, I haven't heard that song for decades, which will be true. And um, so rather than to- learning totally new stuff for that, no, I've, I mean, I've got, I have sung thousands of songs, so I'd, nowadays I'd rather relearn than learn something new for because it's new. I mean, or, or just tinker with an old one and make it new. You know, the best songs have some sort of timeless quality about them, something that makes them relevant to today's scene as well. Or make a point by contrast. <laughs> and other than that, I've um, recently revived a song, song, a show about um, one of my favourite songwriters, Melvina Reynolds. I do a whole show on her material. Um, she's, do you know Melvina Reynolds?
0: Mm. I know about her from the interview you did on the ABC recently. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Um, and poor, poor Melvina, honey, she's been dead for... 40 years, but um, you know, she her most well known song is a, a simple ditty called Little Boxes. Um,
0: oh, so, that's right, yes, I know that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: and Morning Town Ride she wrote, and, and songs okay. that people are aware of without realizing she wrote them, and, uh, along with a heap of other um, interesting songs. So it's my one of my little projects to keep Melvina's name before the public. What else? No, no, I mean, I'm, I'm waiting for the uh, the offer I can't refuse. People say, you still singing? Oh, yes, if people make me the offer I can't refuse. And even then I might refuse. I mean, you get you get and as you get older. I'm a non-driver, you know, lugging the guitar. I don't know uh, how good is it going to be, you know, how attentive is this audience going to be? And I'd, I'd be quite happy to totally retire if I thought there were up-and-coming people are doing covering my sort of territory. But I actually don't see that. And and part of me is thinking, well, if I don't sing all these songs, they're gone. Mm. You know. Uh, I mean, that's a grand, sweeping statement. It's not entirely true, but it's it's what I feel. You know. Well, there are all of these great. Singers and writers and and songs out there that I never hear, mm-hmm. never hear anybody doing them or the equivalent or better, and um, so and I I know them <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but nowadays it is it's problematic to get uh, well to get young audiences along. You know, you, I go to the festivals and, and it, it tends to be people of my age or a little bit younger who, in their youth used to come out and to wherever I was playing. And, and then then they went off. Of course, they got married and had the two mortgages and the three children, or the three mortgages and the two children. And I understood why they weren't you know, coming out in, this, in droves as they might have once. But I thought, no, but I'll wait 20, 30 years. They'll all be back. They all think so kindly and, and fondly of their, you know, the times when they were introduced to this music and this scene and they'll be back. Home, they just get old and and they've got a home theater and they you know they got rid of the the kids and the mortgage but uh, it's, oh no I, just, I can't be bothered they, they you lose the drive and you just they just have the memories so um you keep hoping oh you'll be discovered by uh, maybe if I hang around and become ancient, I'm just old at the moment and that's not and and old is like um, you know. By the time you do anything with this, I'll be 76. Well, once upon time that was old. Now it's not so old. No, no, no. But no. if I'm, it's still singing at 86. Then maybe oh, wonder what she could do at 86, because um, there are, you name me, you know, the the female singers who, are, you can't, you know, they have been and they are sort of phenomenal and, and of interest partly because they're still able to do it at that age. You know, I always used to think, well. Tina Turner's older than me and she's got such energy. She's been smart, she's retired, Mm. you know. Um, Quit while, quit while behind, I (laughs) should've, it's a bit later. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) The voice is, you know, your instrument is one removed from your, you know, if you've got a cold, Mm. you you can still hit the the xylophone. Mm. Um, If if you've, um, if you're, you know, got to put your back out, you might be able to play guitar, but um, yes, it's, uh, again, I, I, I distinguish, you know, singings and songs, yes, of course, we're musicians of a type, uh, from from instrumentalists, and of course, some instrumentalists sing well and vice versa. I, find I don't play well. Um, I find once I start to do anything at all fancy, it takes away from the singing and the song. So, And I don't like rehearsing and practicing very much. So, <laughs> so um, if it doesn't come fairly easily, it's okay, I've got to sell this song really, really well because to distract from my pedestrian accompaniment and it, it usually seems to fool a lot of people i've even had people asking me to teach them guitar because they've had such a good time as I, as i stood there playing guitar and they got really got into the performance they think i'm a good guitarist but i'm here to tell you no i'm not but you can sell it you can sell all sorts of things
0: you got um i think a couple of sort of Lifetime Achievement Awards. Won at the National Folk Festival in 2014, and then won uh, the Women in Music Awards last
1: yes, year. Yes, how about that? Yeah. That was good. The inaugural one. I hope there's going to be another one. I Haven't heard any more. That was that was a, such a classy event up in Brisbane. The um, what was the Ormas? It's unfortunate the uh, acronym that one. Australian Women in Music Awards the Orma Award, award, award. <laughs> um, yes, and they, being there inaugural one day, and I said, good on you, you're getting a few lifetime achievers because we might be falling off the twig if you're doing one a year, you know. So it was, I sh- shared, we each got an award, and Renee Gaya and Patricia Amphlett Little Patty, and myself. So that carried a few genres of popular music too, which was good. And yes, the um, National Folk Festival, good on them. Um, they gave their second Lifetime Achievement Award to me back in 2014, which was, I didn't demure from that because I, I thought, yeah, fair enough, I, I was on the first National Folk Festival and the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth. <laughs> um, so uh, that seemed fair enough. And also you, you're pleased when you know, women get it, you've got to say. But, um, certainly in some fields, not so not so bad in folk music, or mm. um, getting better in you know jazz and pop music and, and I often get asked, you know, did you feel you were discriminated against on the basis of gender?" And I said, well, I know women were, but often I was not because I'd look at the I look at a poster of a you know and there'd be daddy Cool and Billy Thorpe and the Aztecs and a whole heap of people and, and Margaret Roadnight. Knight. <laughs> so I personally, often, I was often the only woman on a big program. Um, and nowadays you wouldn't, you know, you'd call it out all the time, whereas it, then I just accepted the gig, you know. I feel I've been more discriminated against on the basis of genre than, than gender. Because, so. <laughs> uh, I mean, again, it's like, um, Pop rock groups, whatever, they'll put their hand up to perform in a so-called folk festival and they'll be booked because they're a name. whereas it's, so they take a slot and they take half the budget too. that it's not reciprocal. I'm not going to be booked on a rock festival. I ha, I mean having said that, back in the 70s we they did mix and match it a lot more than they do now and I did I did Sunbury and I did you know few other rock festivals and, but it tends not to work both ways and besides do I want to sing to a rock audience who you know they're putting up with me until the, the band comes on um, classic example of all of that is um, a, a woman from uh, North America Ellen McIlwain she uh, is my uh, well I'd say one of the world's greatest guitarists and singers and she's not very well known. Um, And I've brought brought her to Australia twice, put on my entrepreneur's hat and uh, the second time I lost money so I wasn't gonna bring her back. But she did come back and I facilitated her tour the third time and got her to New Zealand as well. And then I also got her to Japan because I think she's so amazing. But, and she, her style of guitar is slide guitar, and she can play the bass rhythm and lead simultaneously, and she sings brilliantly over the top. So she's totally self-contained, and is not taken seriously. She plays very loud, so she's a bit over the top for you know the listening clubs and the folk clubs, the folk scene, whatever. Um, she's a rock act, um, but she wore you know the long red hair and the high heels and all of this. She walks on stage, and with in the early days. A, a, Bugged up acoustic the guitar, and she—they're um, just waiting for the band. And I said, "Get a cardboard cutout silhouette of the drummer, you know, with the sticks in the air, and you know, the guy leaning over with the bass guitar, and the, it, because visuals winning out, they—they're hearing a band. If they listen, but no. Nah, so she's missing out there, and she's missing out there. She's totally unique. You can't afford to be that unique, Ellen. You know, <laughs> so." so distinctively special but anyway yeah if I that's another person that I made a point of introducing as much as I could I recorded one of her songs and as I say I've arranged for her to tour internationally and, and um, I'm, I'm uh, in her corner but uh, the road knight stamp of approval doesn't necessarily help too many people's careers you know. I've heard you say that before. I yeah, think you're it's, too modest. It's true. Oh, no, no. I mean, my favourite Australian songwriter, John Shortis, John who? You know, it's still John who. Uh, brilliant, brilliant songwriter. And, um, but then, I, you know, I don't see the point in saying my favourite guitarist is Eric Clapton. Even if he was, I think I'd find somebody else that needed to be mentioned. So... And, and I like weird instruments, you know, duduk and the kora. You know, I went to West Africa to study the kora, even though I'm not an instrumental instrumentalist at all. But it was my way into the culture. And I've been listening to it ever since I first heard it from the Le Ballet Kan, the touring dance and music company from Guinea in West Africa in the mid '60s. It had been my favorite non-Western instrument. And then in the 90s, I uh, finally said, okay, well, they're never going to invite me over there to sing. If I want to go and explore it, I, I just have to get myself there. And with the assistance, part assistance of um, the Australian Council, I went to West Africa and studied the Korah. And, uh, and now, and realized oh, it's very difficult for white European uh, soul women to function in place like that so if I lived in London perhaps I'd pop over you know every couple of years and and spend a little time but to go from here was major you know and then you you get very exhausted very quickly being in a you know quite different culture with quite different expectations especially of, of women you know And you either explain yourself or call them out on their practices or just shut your mouth and either way it's not that not that satisfactory, but it was something I felt I had to do, and it's still my favourite instrument, the chorus. there we go. We
0: um, we didn't talk about this, but would you sing, play something, <laughs> a little something?
1: Maybe. I wonder what it would be though. Well, you could just play a record. <laughs> I'll sing no. along with one of my records.
0: That's boring. <laughs>
1: Um, oh no, my records I'm bored what are you talking no, about no and no no, no to, no, to play a
0: pre recording um we don't you don't have to I just no, no, I've I, been I, looking at the guitar and I um
1: just trying to think I mean they're probably not even in tune hang on Yeah, have this is a did I show you this guitar last time
0: I don't this, think so this
1: is Melvin Melvina Reynolds guitar oh wow yeah I mean, she had three and her daughter kept one. They stole one in America and I bought the other one. Oh, so, that's all these, really special. That is, and all these notes, are, you know. Like, but I'm not sure since you... Uh, almost. She used to uh, put it, this yellow satin ribbon through her typewriter and write up her set list. Oh, wow. And tie it on there. And so I know what keys she did little boxes in, for instance. you know. So, but, Isn't that great? That is so cool That is so cool Exactly (laughs) Exactly. This is a song It. My baby came to me this morning Said I'm kind of confused Now if me and B.B. King was both drowning Tell me which one would you choose And I said whoa, whoa, baby Let me see. I said, whoa, whoa, baby.